I would invite you uh, now, uh, if you're able, uh, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Like I said, it's going to be a long passage, so certainly no judgment if you prefer to remain seated. Uh, But if you're able, I would encourage you to stand. And we're going to be reading all of Mark 13 today. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be, torn, they'll not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to the trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. 
Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was, I was like 16, 17 at the time, I had like this dream gig where uh, some, some, uh, some, a family friend, I was friends with their with their, their two kids, they were around my age. Uh, they were a, a family with a really nice house, and they uh, asked me to watch their house. They loved me, they trusted me. I'm still in contact with them, I still love them. Um, and they would ask me to watch their house, and they're like, here, we want you to stay at our house and watch our, our dog, who's like the super mild-mannered golden retriever, super easy to take care of, um, who's old. And we, we will pay you a lot of money and also, we're going to stock the fridges, and you are, we'll even let you have friends over uh, if you want to have friends over. You know, just do it responsibly. Uh, we trust you. And, uh, and, and their house was really, really nice. Like, they had a, a, like a big screen TV uh, on their main floor. They had another big screen TV in their basement. So, like, there were times when they were gone, and I did it for, this, for them multiple times, where I would have, like, a number of my buddies over, and we set up, like, an Xbox 360 on the main floor and on the basement, and we would play Halo 3, like, against each other across the house. It was, like, for a teenage boy, it was, like, a dream come true. And um, one, one of the trips when they were gone, I, the, the night before they were, they were going to be coming back uh, the following day, sometime in the afternoon, and I invited uh, one buddy who I was really close to, and he brought someone else who I didn't know very well, and the, the family didn't know very well, to stay at the house too. And we were all kind of, the three of us were kind of hanging out, playing video games till late in the night. And uh, we, you know, went, ended up going, going to sleep. And at like 6 a.m., we were kind of like suddenly awakened by the family who they'd been traveling internationally, had struggled to get flights back, and had ended up getting back home early. And the house was like a mess. And uh, there's these guys sleeping in their house that they didn't know. Um, and they were, like, exhausted after being awake for, like, over 24 hours traveling. And it was just, like, what were you, like, it was just, it was, I was, like, completely mortified. And they were mortified. And it was, like, one of the more, like, embarrassing things that's, like, happened to me. You could, and, I, and they came home when I was asleep. Like, you, you could say that their command to me in watching their house. He's like, I love you, I trust you. You can use this house. But you could say their command was also just stay awake. Stay awake. Literally, like, you know, when we get home, it'd be good if you were awake. But also, at a deeper level, can you see how, like, in that situation, staying awake is just being attentive to the fact that this house isn't mine and that they're going to come back? <laughs> like, staying awake is, is, has a figurative meaning. And, when, and also, like, staying awake means, like, when I come back, like, the state of the house will be, like, revealed. It'll be made manifest. And that's what happened with me, and it was embarrassing. And this is Jesus' final command, resounding command. He says it multiple times in this passage to, his, to these four disciples. Stay awake in both senses. You know, and stay awake. And in a few chapters here, we're going to hear about these disciples falling asleep. Uh, but at a, at a deeper figurative level, be ready for my coming back. Jesus urges his followers to stay awake, to be on guard, to look for his deliverance, to be attentive to his return, as worlds end and at the end of the world. 
And I'll distinguish what I mean by those two, world's end and the end of the world, as we work our way through this passage. Um, let's, let's talk about, like, this is, this is a really perplexing passage, uh, a really perplexing chapter of Scripture. I consider, like, verse 30, okay? Verse 30, Jesus says, This generation will not pass away before these things take place. Verse 32, Jesus says, No one knows the day or the hour. There's a tension there. Do you, like, do you feel the tension between those two? It's perplexing. Also, there, also, a perplexing thing about this passage is how there are all these, these terms that sound really, really important, and we don't really have any idea what they mean as we're reading through it. It's like the abomination of desolation. Right. Yeah, that one. Uh, there's tribulations and false Christs. But like geez, the interpretation of what these verses mean hinges on these things. To help like kind of unwind some of the perplex- I can't unwind all of the all this perplexing in this passage. Um, but to help unwind some of it, I think that Jesus, in talking to his disciples here, he has two horizons in view. Two horizons. Uh, the first horizon is a world's end. It's the the world that you know, first century temple worship um, that his, his his disciples and followers will be really entrenched in in the years ahead. That world in that region, he's prophesying here that that's going to come to an end. A world is going to end. And that prophecy of his is fulfilled in, in a few decades after he says these words, in the year, between the years 66 and 70 A.D. He would have said these words in like around 30 A.D. Um, it's the, this, you can see this, this horizon like in some of the more like immediate, localized things he's saying in this passage. Right? So the, the passage begins with... The disciple, him saying, like, this, this beautiful temple you guys are looking at, it's going to be thrown down, every stone. It's a very localized, specific prediction. This temple is going to be destroyed. There's also some localized things you may have, you may have seen um, in the passage. Like, he, he says, oh, everyone who's in Judea should flee to the mountains. It's a very specific prediction. Um, and a number of these, of these things, they, like I said, they end up being fulfilled 66, in between 66 and 70 A.D., which... Again, that would be just about 40 years after these words were said. And remember, Jesus said this all happened within a generation. In the ancient world, usually like 40 years was considered like a generation. 30 to 70 AD. These, a number of these things will be fulfilled in a generation. Um, and this, me having this interpretation of there being like this nearer horizon, a world's end, this is, this is not just like Stephen like coming up with a clever idea, uh, but this is like an old interpretation in the church about this, like, Going back to like the 300s, uh, there was a, a bishop and church historian named Eusebius of uh, Caesarea. And so he was writing about, and he, he actually called what happened in 70 AD, which I'll talk about more soon, as the abomination of desolation. So th- this interpretation has been around for a while. The second horizon that Jesus is looking to, so the first one is a world's end. The farther one out he's looking at is what I'm calling the end of the world. World's end and the end of the world. And you can see some things, in this, some things in this passage where Jesus is, re- is referring to his eventual return at the end of all things, when he's going to come and judge the living and the dead with his angels. And notice how there are some more universal things. You know, in the first horizon, there are these local predictions. In the second horizon, there are more universal predictions. He says, you know, the, the sun will be darkened. The moon will lose its light. Stars will fall from heaven. I will gather, I will gather my elect from all the corners of the earth. It's a far more universal far more universal horizon. 
And I'm going to work, spend some time working through each of these horizons with you guys through this passage today. Um, but just like starting off, it's like, it's really important as Christ followers today, we also have these two horizons all the time. We have the horizon of the world around us, the political and social and economic, all these, and religious, like the, the world around us crumbling and ending. And as that's happening, we look to Jesus and we look to Jesus, and we look towards Jesus and towards, like, the end of the world, towards the eventual horizon. We have to keep both these things in mind because, in a lot of ways, our world's ending. And we have to look to, for his final return. So let's examine each of these horizons. Uh, so world's end, world's end, the close one. Uh, Jesus, you know, he says that the temple will be destroyed. Recall in past weeks how John has been... Uh, teaching us about how Jesus was denouncing the temple authorities um, in his dialogues with all of the people in chapter 12 and really draws out how this corrupt establishment is oppressing folks. This temple, this beautiful temple, which would have been one of the most beautiful buildings in the region, maybe in the world at that time, it'll be torn down. And the disciples immediately respond back in like verse, verse 4 now. They're like, yeah, when will that be? Uh, that was an interesting thing to say. Like, it's like saying that, you know, one of the tal- like skyscrapers in Center City is going to fall, okay? Uh, <laughs> more info, please. Um, and the, the, ta- the time when the disciples lived, and in the decades a- after this is said, it was a time with tons of apocalyptic fervor. Think about this. There were, in Jesus' time, there were people who were living out in communes in the desert because they wanted to, like, they thought they were maintaining, like, the true pure line, of the people of Israel. Uh, There were people who who thought that the end times, you know, final horizon, were imminent, and they thought that they could bring it about through, like, killing Roman soldiers. Um, And so, and that party, they were called the Zealots. They ended up actually taking control in the year 66 to 70 AD. Um, This was, it was probably a time when there were, like, lots of different timelines and maps of the end of the world. And that's like kind of where some of, I think, Jesus' disciples' question is coming from. And curiously, Jesus begins in, this, in verse 5, as they ask about it, he's like, he begins by telling them not to listen to the apocalyptic preachers of their day. He says, don't be led astray, verses 5 through 7. And instead, he wants them to listen very carefully to what he has to say and his very, pretty specific instructions for what he would have them do. And then there, uh, there are these three phases he's, he's, he's predicting of what's going to happen. And these things are fulfilled in many ways in the year 66 to 70 AD. He says there will be wars and famines and earthquakes. And this is in, verses, this is in five, verses 5 through 8. Um, this, will be fu- in verses, this will be fulfilled in, in 70. I'm just going to refer to it as 70 AD. It was a time of unparalleled unrest in both Judea and in the Roman Empire. The first line of Roman emperors died. There were four Roman emperors in four years in the year 69. And it was a time where the, the region they were around in Judea rose up in revolt against the Roman Empire. And it ended up being like a very nasty, bloody revolt. Um, and Jesus says, like, you know, nations warring against nations, famines. He says, don't, don't be alarmed. Don't freak out. So in this first section, Jesus, and he, and he ends with this kind of haunt, these kind of haunting words. He says, oh, but these are just, that's just the beginning. <laughs> And uh, Jesus is saying, in an age of apocalyptic stampedes, he says, 
Don't be alarmed. I'm telling you this is going to happen. Next, there will be persecutions. Christians will have to bear witness. They'll be betrayed. Family members will betray one another. Um, 70 AD, this was a time, around this time, was a a rising time of persecution for Christians. Something like the the martyrdoms that we know about uh, that have been passed down through history, like Paul and Peter, were like in the early 60s AD, most likely. It was a time where, where, and Nero was notorious for persecuting Christians. It was a time of rising persecution. And as for this idea that, you know, brothers will hand over brothers and fathers will hand over their children and children will, you know, betray their parents and put them to death. In verse 12, you can see this in verse 12. When the Judeans rose up against the Romans in revolt, it was also a time of civil war in Judea. It was just like a hot mess of a a time. Um, There was lots of infighting among different groups in Jerusalem. So when the Romans came and laid siege to Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, the groups infighting in Jerusalem, they actually killed each other more than the Romans actually killed Jews. They they burned like a whole store of food in the city during the siege because there were like different parties jockeying for power. It was a time of brothers handing over brothers. And Jesus comforts his disciples here by saying that the Holy Spirit will give them words to say. And he reminds them something that he reminds his disciples of a lot, which is that the world, the world will hate, the whole world will hate you. The whole world will hate you, just as it hates me, he says in other passages. Okay. Now we're getting to the, the, the abomination of desolation, verses 14 through 23. Um, what is this? Abomination is not a word we use very often. Maybe abominable snowman. That's like the only time I can think of where I regularly use the the word abomination, and I don't even say abominable snowman that often. Um, What is it? Jesus is drawing language from the prophet Daniel, and uh, and, and Daniel prophesies about um, an abomination that leaves desolate. Um, And Daniel's prophecies were fulfilled in a a way, too. Um, Abomination, that, that word, you know, it means... Desecration, defilement, is taking something holy, a place that's holy, and uh, making it unclean. And desolation is a state of destruction or emptiness. So there's an abomination which is followed by a desolation. So, again, drawing from the book of Daniel, Jesus sees abomination of desolation as a pretty specific thing, actually, where the abomination is that the people of Israel will make unclean, will profane, a holy place, and then that will be followed by a judgment of desolation where a foreign king or a foreign ruler will destroy or stand in the presence of a place that was once holy. And that's, that's what happened with Daniel's prophecies. Um, and, this is, and it happens, and it happens with, with Jesus' prophecy here. And just uh, like a, some images from like our own time to think about what an abomination of desolation looks like. Um, in ways you could say that like what happened on January 6, 2021 was an abomination of desolation. You know, there, the, the desolation is like this place that has some, this, there's some manner of reverence in this place, in the U.S. Capitol building. And all of a sudden there are just these you know, people running like a muck in this space. And it's just like, it's desolation. It's like, I never expected to see something like this. It's this person standing in this place. But also you can see like, you know, were there things happening in this capital room beforehand that abominated this space? Maybe. 
it's a kind of abomination of desolation. Or if you don't like that example, uh, maybe what happened in the, the city, city hall area of Seattle in 2020, where it, there was kinds of lawlessness and murder and, and happening in Seattle City Hall, and maybe that had something to do with what happened there beforehand. I'm not going to adjudicate these things. It's just, those are images of like a place that's held in some, has some manner of respect, reverence, a tiny bit compared to the temple of, of God. But these places being like suddenly like totally transformed into something else. Desolation. This is what would happen in 70 AD. So I referenced the, the zealots. Um, they, they cast lots. This party, they cast lots to pick a high priest, which pretty directly defied Old Testament law. And they ended up selecting a man who like to be the high priest who knew nothing about what the office of high priest was. It was an abomination. And they were like running wild in, in the temple, and like there were murders in the temple in, in this, this time of civil war. And it ends with uh, the Romans and Titus, who would eventually be a Roman emperor, um, actually sacking Jerusalem and destroying the temple. Exactly as Jesus said, that every stone would be torn down. Jesus' warning to his followers who will see this in a generation, it's like, he's like, as you see the abomination of desolation, like, don't sit and ponder about it. He, doesn't, he changes his advice. You know, he doesn't say, don't be alarmed. He said that earlier. This time he says, no, run. Like, if you're on the top of your house and you hear that this has happened, like, don't even go down to grab your bag. Like, run. Leave your house. Flee to the mountains as fast as you can. Um, and we actually have have accounts from the same church historian I referenced earlier from the 300s, that when there was this rebellion in Judea, that there were Christians who actually fled to nearby mountains. Which is to say that, like, Jesus' warning here was actually possibly heeded by, like, followed by his followers a generation later. Jesus' words came true, and lives were saved. Yet Jesus also comforts them that God will cut short the suffering suffering for the sake of his, his elect, for his chosen ones. And some of the last verses about this horizon are verses 28 to 30, where Jesus used the image of a fig tree, uh, which a fig tree, he's used that. We've seen this all in this, this book already. Jesus uses the image of fig tree for judgment on the people of Israel, and he says, like, when the tree is softened, um, you know that the season's coming, so you know with these signs that these things are about to happen. A recurring theme throughout this horizon, I don't know if you guys have been picking up on this, is that God delivers those who are in Christ. Um, first off, but in the midst of great suffering, including for them. He, his words will actually be used by them to deliver them. You know, these, these, his words here are not just like him postulating about some random theological thing, but it's actually like words of instructions that will actually deliver people. Also, he says that like the Holy Spirit will give you words when you're before authorities. Also, he says... Like God will cut short the time of suffering for the sake of his elect. God is ministering to and comforting and giving grace to his people, um, even as he's telling them to be on guard, to stay awake. And those things really go hand in hand. And it's worth saying that like with what happened in 66 to 70 AD, that like a world did end. A world ended. Um, I, the, the, old, the Old Testament worship really built up and was like culminated and like took place, centered around the temple. The temple was destroyed, and it has never been rebuilt. Um, and there wouldn't be like a, this was like the 66 to 70 AD was like the last time there was something of a, a Jewish state in the land of Israel until like after World War II. Like this, 
this, a world ended. And it's, it's, I think it's just helpful to keep in mind this horizon. Jesus you know, giving advice to not be alarmed, giving advice to, uh, to like, God, the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. You will be hated by everyone. Uh, there are times when you're supposed to just flee. I think Jesus' advice here, though, it was really specifically fulfilled in lots of ways in 70 AD. There's ways that it helps us out in our own immediate horizon, too, of the ways that our world is ending, which, I don't know. I don't have time to prove that our world is ending. Um, but do you feel like it is? <laughs> do you feel like it is? Uh, growing anxiety, polarization, social distrust. Use whatever metric you want. People in our time, in contrast with previous generations, are far less optimistic about the future. There are ways that the world is ending. Jesus says, be on guard. There are those who, there are those who will lead you astray. He says, you'll be hated by everyone. These things, these things, I think, have application to us, even though they were fulfilled in a specific time. So that's world's end. The second thing is the end of the world. I won't spend as, as much time here. There's not as much um, material here in the passage for this. Um, so Jesus comforts his instructions as the their world is ending by pointing them to the end of the world. When, he, when he'll come back, um, when his angels will come and bring judgment, um, he talks about in verses 24 through 27 about the sun and, and moon being darkened and stars falling from the sky. Uh, this is language that's um, been used by the prophets in the Old Testament to refer to like evil empires coming crashing down. Um, it's also language that could be referring to like the spiritual powers of evil being cast down. Uh, Satan is ref- in, in Isaiah is referred to as, as the day star who has fallen from heaven. So when Jesus comes back with his angels to gather his elect, like evil nations and wicked angels will be cast down. He also says in verses 32 to 36 about how we don't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows when it will happen, which is, you know, in contrast with 70 AD, where Jesus does know when it's going to happen. And he uses this image that is similar to the one I opened with, of like the, um, you know, a master leaving his house and then coming back. Um, and finding this, you know, the state of it for his, how the, the servants have been taking care of the, of the house. And he tells them finally, like, stay awake. Again, think of me in the, in the house I watched when I was a teenager. This house, he's saying, this world, your life, your body, these things don't actually belong to you. You're a tenant. You're a servant who's keeping watch over these things. You're a doorkeeper. And the master, the head of the household, he's, co- he's coming back. So stay awake. Look for his coming. Pay attention. I'll, I confess to you guys like this, this um, Jesus coming back at the end of the world, Jesus' second coming uh, to judge the living and the dead. Uh, this is like a doctrine that's been hard for me to believe at times. I was, uh, right now I'm catechizing eight kids in our church, kind of just teaching them the basics of the faith throughout the course of this school year. And uh, I have like, at the beginning of every time, we have like a warm-up game, and where it's a get-to-know-you time, and it's also fun. And uh, we had one where like, uh, they had to select like any number of the, uh, any letter of the alphabet. And whatever random number they select in the alphabet, I had like a question pre-prepared. And it was like a serious question, like a serious get-to-know-you question. So, you know, it, you know, questions like, you know, what's something that's making you really sad in your life right now? Things like that. And um, 
I decided, and they're like, here, we want you to do it with us, Stephen. So like, I, I select a, a letter, and uh, the letter that I, I select, uh, the question which I had prepared, and now I have to answer myself, was what is something about the, about the Christian faith that you find hard to believe? And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like teaching these kids the basis of the faith, and I have to answer this question. I've like set a trap for myself. And, um, and I, I like thought about it for a while, and I told him, like, this is, it was this. It was the second coming. That Jesus would, like, after these thousands of years, that Jesus would actually come back. And he would, ju- and he would you know, judge the living and the dead. It's something that's been hard for me to believe at times. Maybe it's hard for you to, for you to believe, too. Um, it's something that Christians have been confessing since the first days of the church. Um, do the math with me. Do this. I invite you to do some math with me and thinking about what, if this isn't true, what this would mean. If, it, if Jesus isn't coming back, it means that he isn't who he said he was. If Jesus isn't coming back, uh, it means there won't be a resurrection of the dead. This one really gets under my skin. If Jesus isn't coming back, it means that justice will never be fully realized. Um, right now, I'm listening to a, a four-part podcast on the Zodiac Killer, uh, which... He was this serial killer in the late 1960s, killed at least five people, and there were a lot of serial killers in that time, and they were, mo- they were, you know, they were caught, but the Zodiac Killer was never caught, and, and, and he got away with it. He got away with these murders, and he, you know, he scared like a whole region of California, sending in letters to the newspapers. This guy like released hell on earth for years, and he got away with it. And, like, if Jesus isn't coming back, then, like, that's the period at the end of the sentence. And that's, like, if you start, start to sit in that, like, I sit in that, and I'm like, that is horrifying if Jesus isn't coming back. No second coming means we're still in our sins. It means that our lives are without ultimate hope. It means that the good things that we do in this life will ultimately pass away into meaninglessness. We're just a collection of atoms who ram into one another in a chaotic universe. And we tend to think that Jesus coming back is the scary news. The alternative sounds far worse. But Jesus reassures his followers that he is coming back. And it's good news. So with all this, with all this teaching, these you know, world's end, the end of the world, um, a couple exhortations for you guys. Um, to, those of you who are, to those of you who are older and to those of you who are younger, you identify in whichever camp you want, whatever you want to do. To those of you here who are older, um, as I'm defining it here, you've probably been part of, or at least in your own life, you've been part of a world's end of some kind in your time. Uh, you've, and maybe, again, maybe it's just in your own life. You've lost a loved one. Maybe you've failed dramatically. You've sinned grievously. Maybe you've seen your circumstances like a rug completely yanked out from under your feet. I would just ask you, when have you had to be on guard? When have you been persecuted? When, what has the Holy Spirit given you words to say? When have you had to flee? Those of you who are older, uh, your stories and like, your answers to these questions are like really, really helpful. Uh, to those of us who are younger, I would count myself in the younger camp. Uh, 
Please share them with us. Tell us about how Jesus really is the deliverer, even when a world ends. Your presence is like indispensable as we see our world end and as we wait for Jesus' return at the end of the world. To those of you who are younger, um, Jesus is sharing this, he gives this speech, he's sharing these words with four of his disciples, with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Uh, these men at this time probably were like in their early 20s. They were young. But when some of the people started following Jesus, they were probably teenagers. Jesus tells these young men that they're fit in, in the years ahead, they and their families will have to guard against false prophets. They'll have to suffer under national and physical disasters. They're going to be persecuted. They'll be betrayed by brothers, fathers, by their own children. They'll have to flee. He tells them, you will be hated by everyone for my name's sake. He tells this to these young 20-somethings. And I think just like a plain thing, a plain teaching here, um, that me as like a younger person needs to be reminded of, is just like the, the ways of the world are opposed to the ways of God. Satan is the master of the world. He's the star who will fall from heaven, ultimately, when Jesus comes back. His way is the default in this world. And Jesus is telling his disciples, like, in this generation, you're, like, you're not going to be able to follow me on cruise control. Um, us who are younger, like, we don't, you don't know, like, the greatest challenges that are coming ahead of you in the years, in the years ahead. You don't know how you're going to suffer, how your faith will be tested. I just ask you, like, coming from Jesus' command to stay awake, like, what are you doing to prepare for those things now? If you want to endure in your faith, you're going to have to stay on guard. You're going to have to stay awake. You're going to have to rest all your weight on the hope that Jesus will one day return to judge the living and the dead. This is true for Peter, John, James, and Andrew, and that's true for us now. And if you're, you're hearing this and you realize like you can't do it on your own, do that. That sounds like I'm like failing in more ways that I can count. Then you're in the right place. That's the, right, that's the right response in so many ways. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Plead for Jesus' help. He delivers, he delivers his people. Again, hear that, that theme throughout this, this passage. He, his words tell them what to do. His, the Holy Spirit will give them words when it's time, when it's time to, to, to speak in front of the authorities. Uh, the, the Lord cuts short suffering for the sake of his elect. He's going to come back with his angels and gather his elect from all the corners of the earth. The spiritual powers are going to be cast down. Do you hear the conquering king coming to the aid of his people in the midst of the hardest possible things that could happen? Turn to him. Plead before him as you come to the table. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.